Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Welcome to this Easter celebration brought to you by Schweitzer. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We've been anticipating and we, we are excited about celebrating the victory of Christ over the grave, over death, over sin, over all kinds of areas in life. And we are excited about worshiping today. We're so glad you've joined us. If you will, we'd invite you to take a moment to check in. Let us know that you're here. Uh, you can say hello. You can invite a guest to join you too. But we're so glad you're here. Let's get ready to worship the risen Christ. Let's worship together.
Thank you, choir, for leading us in worship with that tremendous song. As we continue in our worship, part of, part of our joy is to be generous with God as God has been generous with us. If you'd like to give and be a part of worship through the act of giving, you can go to sumc.co slash give and make an, uh, a tithe or an offering. Uh, today, we're going to continue uh, with our worship as we pray together. And then Schweitzer kids are going to tell part of the story of Jesus's victory as we watch them. But I invite you to pray along with me on this Easter Sunday. Kind Father, today we pause to give you thanks for the resurrection of Christ that has reshaped history and reshapes our sense of eternity. Thank you for raising Christ up from the dead and for the hope that comes from his life that has been born to us by so many people who've, who've told us the stories of Jesus and how our lives can be linked with his and his life, his resurrected life can be found in the stories of our lives. Would you help us to have open hearts to receive anew today his resurrected life? Would you help us to have open hands and minds and and just be open to you and to the work of your Holy Spirit that our lives might reflect the goodness, the joy, the hope, and the glory of Christ. And where we need faith, would you give us faith? Where we need hope, would you give us hope? Where we need peace, would you give us peace? And would you give us that quiet confidence of those who met Christ on Easter morning? Thank you. Hear the prayers of our hearts. Thank you for this good and holy and awesome day. In the name of the resurrected Jesus, we pray. Amen. And now, let's enjoy this retelling of the story brought to us by Schweitzer Kids Ministry. Like cupcake. <laughs> it's a nice method. You've got some good sound like Yeah, it does. Um, the story's about um, Jesus. Jesus and um, he was one of the disciples. I know. Peter. At dinner, Jesus told Peter, you're going to tell three people you don't know me. It's going to happen. The flood reached the even growth. Peter said, no way. Later that night, they arrested him. Yeah. But I already said that. Oh. I already said that. Well, I think. I think maybe she did, didn't hold me or maybe I forgot. Don't ask Peter. Hey, do you know Jesus? Peter said, no. No. I don't know. What are you talking about? I don't know him. Someone said, I know you, Jesus is friend. He was like, I don't know God. Who is God? Who is he? Jesus. Who's God? Jesus. Who's, who's Jesus? What are you talking about? Jesus. Uh, the third time. Someone asked Peter, I saw you in Jesus. That was a me. He, he pretended to not know God three times. 
and then a rooster came and said, cock a doo 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 Jesus died on the cross and then got buried in the tomb. Um, there was an earthquake, and uh, so and then these three ladies went over to the tomb and checked, and and they didn't see Jesus, so they walked on out and looked everywhere. This angel with lightning-made clothes um, told them that Jesus was alive. And then two of them cried out, um, like, like yelled, and they ran away except Mary. Uh, the angel said, you're going to be fine. And um, then Jesus came out, and uh, he was the only one that said Mary. And uh, Mary knew that voice, so she turned around, and uh, she, she just... Um, uh, fell down to the ground. And she thought, nobody says my name the way Jesus does. She turned around and there's Jesus. And she was really, really happy. And then she ran to the city to tell everybody Jesus was alive. So she ran as fast as she can. And it was like the sky was getting brighter. And the birds were tweeting. And then um, they started to come on over and wanted to see him actually alive. And then they were all like really happy. The end. The end. The end. Well, friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer, and uh, today is a day worth celebrating. And here's why Luke 24 tells us the reason. Luke 24, verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And of course, they're going to the tomb because Jesus was laid there on Friday afternoon. And as the Sabbath starts on Friday evening, they have not been able to tend to his body. And so they go early on Sunday morning to treat his body with the respect it deserves. And I just want you to notice this real small detail as we work through this uh, through this story of good news that it's the women who show up at the tomb on Sunday morning. Like, where are the men? It's the most important day in history and they're sleeping in and it's the women who are gonna be the first witnesses of resurrection, the women who are gonna give the first testimony of the resurrection of the good news. It's the women who are gonna be the first to share the gospel with the world that Jesus is alive. And so they go to the tomb early on Sunday morning. Verse two says, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, which had to send all kinds of red flags up because why in the world is the stone rolled away? But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And of course not, because he's alive. And while they were there wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Of course, these aren't just men. These are angels. The angels show up and they're, and they're glowing and they're, and they're going to speak to them. So verse 5 says, In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? This is the classic question of Easter. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, verse six. He is not here. He has risen 
Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the angels are like, don't you remember how he said this would happen? Don't you remember all the times he talked about his crucifixion and his resurrection? Don't you remember that this was gonna, how, how could you forget that this was what was gonna take place? And, and then they even quote Jesus, verse seven says, the son of man, this is what Jesus said, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. How could you forget? And then verse eight, I love verse eight. Then they remembered his words. Oh yeah, he did talk about this. Oh, he did have a plan. Of course, this is what was gonna take place. Well, verse nine, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of G James, and the others with them who told them this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like, listen to this word here, nonsense. And of course it sounds like nonsense because dead people don't come back. And I, I know as, as modern people, we like to look back at people in ancient times and kind of sneer at them a little bit because you know they were superstitious and they, they believed in, in things like miracles and resurrection. And this wasn't that hard for them to believe this kind of thing because you know they're not, they're not like us with modern understandings and modern sensibilities and modern understandings of science. But, but listen, I want you to hear this. Um, you don't need to be a modern person with modern science and modern understandings to know that dead people don't come back. Even in the ancient world, they knew this. This was nonsense to them just as it would have been to us because dead people don't come back. This is, this is nonsense. Uh, the women though, the women have faith and the women are saying, no, 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 he's, he's alive. I don't know how it happened. I can't explain it. I don't know what exactly is all going on here, but he's alive. Peter hears this and Peter believes, or at least he's confused because verse 12 says, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying there by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. And so if you go through and read the rest of Luke chapter 24, Jesus is going to show up to some, some folks. There's going to be experiences of the resurrected Jesus. One of this is going to take place on a road to a, a town called Emmaus. Another is going to happen in, a, in an upper room with the disciples that, that they're going to discover that Jesus, who was crucified, that he is alive. And this truth that Jesus is alive, this good news message that he is alive, this is a message that is going to change the course of history because these women and men who experience the resurrected Jesus and this, this, this new truth that he is alive, they are gonna go into the world and they are going to tell everyone that they can, that he is alive. And, and as they tell this message, they're not just gonna say that he's like metaphorically alive, like, you know, he lives in our hearts or in our memories or that kind of thing. This isn't about some sort of like being, uh, being, being just like some metaphor of this. This is, this is the, the truth that they preach, that he physically walked out of the grave, that he is alive, that Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah was crucified, dead and buried. And on the third day, he rose again. This is the truth that is gonna change history. And as they go across the world and start to tell as many people as they can about this, just life after life after life, person after person after person is gonna be changed by this good news message. And that's what I wanna talk about today with us is, is just how powerful, and this changes us, this change that takes place in us. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to another place in the Bible. And I just wanna wrap our minds around the, the profound power of this message that Jesus is alive and how much it changes us. So we're gonna go to another book of the Bible called Philippians. And we're gonna read just a short section here. And, and my goal is I want us to hear uh, just how life-changing this is because we're gonna read a reflection of somebody whose life was changed when he met the resurrected Jesus. 
So Philippians, we're going to go to chapter 3. This is written by Paul. And it's again, it's a reflection on just how profound the change is that comes in our lives when we experience the resurrected Jesus. So here's what Paul writes. We're going to start kind of mid-thought here, but this is chapter 3, verse 7 of Philippians. He says this, he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now we're going to read several more verses, but I want to pause here on this very first verse because, I, again, we just need to wrap our minds around how profound the change is that takes place as we experience the resurrected Jesus. And to get this, I think it's a really helpful way to do this is to, is to think just about the backstory of, of what we're reading here. This, this change is taking place, how, how uh, life is changing and we meet Christ. And so to think about the backstory, let's talk about who wrote this. Paul. Well, Paul. And one of the most important things to know about Paul is that uh, before he met Jesus, his life was, was actually pretty good, which is not something we say usually when we talk about people meeting Jesus. Usually when we tell the stories of like life change that takes place, you know, the stories about how bad life was before Jesus, how good it is afterwards. And so you have these stories that we tell in church a lot that are like, you know, before I met Jesus, man, my life was a mess. I was drunk and broke and I was about to be divorced and my kids weren't talking to me. It's like bad thing, bad thing, bad thing, bad thing. But then I met Jesus and life is really good now. I'm flush with cash. My marriage is great. My kids are awesome. My life looks like Instagram all the time now because Jesus is my life. That's how a lot of those stories go. It's like part one, life was bad. Then I meet Jesus. All of a sudden, part two, it is awesome. That's like how we tell these stories a lot of times. In fact, not too long ago, I was, I was talking to someone who was exploring faith and they were kind of had questions about Christ. And I got to, to talk with them about this, which is like, my favorite conversation is to talk with folks who are exploring Jesus, have questions about him. We were talking about this and I was trying to share with this person just the power of God, how he changes our lives when we, when we open our hearts to him. And, and as, I, as I did this, this person, he, he, he said to me, he said, you know, sometimes it kind of sounds like Jesus is just a crutch for weak people. Like, have you ever heard that before? Like, it's almost just like Jesus is just here to like fix my life because I can't do it. And it's like for people who hit rock bottom and can't fix their problems in their life. And listen, I certainly believe that Jesus can change all kinds of people's lives, all kinds of brokenness. He heals people and redeems people. He, he changes broken circumstances. He changes broken marriages and broken families. He heals uh, folks who, who have all kinds of, of problems. He, he sets uh, people free from addictions. Like Jesus has the power to change our lives in so many ways. But I want you to hear this. Um, Paul, who wrote Philippians 3, that's not his story. That's, that's really not his backstory at all. Paul's life is actually pretty good. If, if you read through the Bible and you were to, to explore his life, especially pay attention to maybe the first part of the book of Acts or the 13 letters he wrote in the New Testament, here's some of the things that you learn about Paul. You would learn that uh, Paul, before he met Jesus, was uh, somebody who was enjoying a lot of success in life. He was being mentored by the most powerful man in his country. He was well-respected. He was uh, offered promotions and new opportunities in his work. He was gaining a reputation where people really looked at him as a, as a leader as he was emerging. Um, he, he was also a, a religious person. He wasn't the kind of person who had like this outward life that looked good, but on the inside had all these problems and, 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 and things he kept hidden from other people. That really wasn't him. Like Paul's life, it was going up and to the right. And from what it looked like to other people, like he had the kind of life that people want to have. And then he met Jesus and his life changed. And, and, and again, if you read through the Bible and you do the homework of well, how his life changed, here's some things you'll learn because after he meets Jesus, like his life changes in that it doesn't necessarily get easier. In fact, it gets a whole lot harder. After he meets Jesus, uh, Paul is gonna travel basically nonstop for the rest of his life. And he's gonna go to these cities and start churches. And in these cities he goes to, he's not gonna be welcomed. 
People are going to resist him and oppose him all the time. And these churches he starts in these different cities, it's not like they're going to be mega churches and he's going to have a TV ministry with all this kind of success. Like that's not his story. That's not what happens. These are all small kinds of churches that are just struggling to survive. And as he travels through the area and, and through these places, there's going to be all kinds of opposition and resistance to him. People are going to beat him up in different places. One time he's, he's beaten up so bad that he's left for dead. Um, his friends from his old life are going to turn on him and, and plot against him and, and seek to, to harm him. He's going to travel nonstop. Usually he doesn't have enough money for things like a full, full, uh, all the food he needs or warm clothes. And his traveling is difficult. At one point he's going to be shipwrecked. Um, in fact, he's going to end his life because of how much opposition he has. His life is going to end as it's, as it's executed, as he's executed in Rome because of his testimony of Jesus. In fact, we're reading here Philippians chapter 3. He's writing this from a Roman prison cell. Because not he's done anything bad, but because, because of his testimony about Jesus. So with that backstory said, I want to go back and read the verse we just read one more time. And, and as we think about this backstory of his life, again, think about how profound and powerful this change is that he's describing when he met the resurrected Christ. So one more time, here's what he writes. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He said, whatever were gains to me, whatever were gains to me in my old life and the way things were when I was successful and people respected me and, and, and I was gaining promotions and new opportunities, whatever was in my old life, he says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Even though my new life is more difficult, even though there's challenges and opposition that I face, what I have found in Christ makes that old life when I was chasing after those things, the success and wealth and power and respect, it makes those, it doesn't even compare to those old things. This new life that I found in Christ is so much better. In fact, he goes on, he goes on, he says this, verse eight, he says, what is more, I consider everything a loss, everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider everything a loss, he says. It's, it's like all the things that I was chasing after, all of the things that I thought I wanted, all of the things that my life was geared around, even though they were like good things and the things that most of us pursue in our life, success and power and reputation and achievement, like even though those are the things that most of us chase after, he's like, I consider them a loss. In fact, listen how he keeps going here. He says, I consider them, listen to the word, garbage. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I consider them garbage. And this is, again, these are the kinds of things that most of us chase after. But when he looks at his old life to his new life, even though his old life was about ease and comfort and power and success and his new life is more difficult, but he has Christ. He's like, man, the old life is like, it's like garbage. I can't believe I spent all that time chasing after those things. He keeps going here. So I may gain Christ, verse nine, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that, which is, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And so he's saying this new life that I found in Christ, it's not because I've earned it. It's not because I've been really religious and, and moral. It's because this has been a gift that's come to me through faith, a gift that God has given to me. He goes, keeps going here, verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is like the mission statement of Paul's life now. I want, I want to know Christ. Whatever it is that I can do to know him more, that's what I want. 
I've chased after all these other things in life, but they don't compare because I want to know Christ. That's his mission statement of his life. And then he wraps this up, verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained all this. We've already arrived at my goal. He's still pursuing this. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, in Philippians 3, Paul's point is really, really simple. I, I used to live a life that was all about me. He's like, I chased after the things that made me happy. I chased after success and achievement, accomplishment, success, wealth, power, respect. I chased after all these kinds of things. But then I found Christ and I discovered that none of them compare. It, it, it's so far in different leagues. It's like those old things I used to chase after. It's like they're garbage compared to this, this new life that I found in Christ. You see, this is a reflection of, of someone's life who has changed because he met the resurrected Jesus. And when he met Christ on that road to Damascus and his life changed, he can write these kinds of things because he has met something that is so much better. This is not the reflection of somebody who's just like, you know what I found in Christ is I found a, a moral compass, which is what some people think the Christian message is about, that the Christian message is mostly about becoming a good person and doing good things and, and not doing bad things anymore. And in this kind of framework that a lot of people think the Christian message is about, Jesus is mostly just a good moral teacher or he's somebody who's just a good example to us. And that, like, this is not the kind of thing that's written if this is mostly about morality. This is about something deeper, nor is this the kind of reflection that you get if, if Paul's faith is just for the next life and it's about going to heaven when I die, not about how I live my life right now. No, this is the reflection of somebody who has encountered the risen Jesus and his life has changed. This is the change that we experience, the profoundness and the powerful change that, that Christians have been preaching for 2,000 years. This is the promise of Easter that when we find Christ, when we are accepting him into our life, when we discover that the grave is empty, there is change in what we find in him. It, it makes everything else in the world, doesn't even compare. It is so much greater. It's so much greater. And the reason I, I can say this is because this is what I've experienced too, that in Christ, there is nothing that compares. This reminds me of the promise that Jesus made in John chapter 10, verse 10. This is a promise I read to our church on a regular basis because I, I think it's just so powerful. But in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus makes this promise. He says two things. He says, first, he says, a thief comes, only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And we've all seen this truth at work in the world. We've all seen people who, for whatever reason, choose self-destruction. We've all seen them. We can name them. We can list them. Some of us have chosen self-destruction. It's like, I don't even know why people choose that kind of self-destruction, but they do. Or we've seen people or ourselves who, uh, who have chased after things that in the end, after pursuing them, we're like, you know what? They, they left me empty. And, and, and so we've all seen this truth at work in the world where, where we pursue things that either lead to our own destruction or we pursue things that leave us empty. It's like, how can you gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? We've all seen this truth at work, but then Jesus finishes the promise and he says this, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Some translations will say life abundant. And when Jesus uses that word life, he, he doesn't mean to say that, uh, you know, he's talking about our biology, our breath and our heartbeats and those kinds of things. He's talking about the quality of our life. He's talking about life with a capital L. He's talking about this fullness of life that you're only going to find in Christ. And the promise that he gives is that 
is that in him there is a fullness of life that you will not find anywhere else. Now, this isn't to say that your life after Christ is always going to be easy. This isn't to say that you're going to be free from doubts and questions and fears just because you have Christ. It's not to say that there won't be sickness and setbacks and all kinds of problems that come at you because you have Christ. But it is to say that even in the midst of whatever the worst thing that the world can throw at you, you have found something that is so much better because you have found the source of love and joy and peace and purpose and meaning. You have found the one who can complete your life like no one else can. You have found Christ. And, and the reason why, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this, hear this, hear this. The reason why Jesus is the one who can give you life with a capital L, this quality of life, this full life, this complete life, is because he was crucified, dead, and buried. And on the third day, he rose again. The reason why Jesus can give us this gift of life with a capital L, even eternal life, is because he is the one who was made alive. He is the one who conquered death. And because he is the one who is the source of life, he gives this to us. His resurrection is the source of the change that we have that Paul writes about. His resurrection is this life with a capital L. It is because he was dead and now he is alive. It is because the grave is empty that we have this new life. It's because of him and what he has done. And so when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, we don't mean this in a metaphorical sense, like Jesus lives in our hearts or he's in our memories or he's just this example of, of something good that's taken place. No, 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 no. We mean that because Jesus walked out of that tomb on the third day, now we can be made alive in him. This is the promise of Easter, that through Jesus' resurrection, you can find a source of life. Because of Jesus' resurrection, you can be made alive. Because of Jesus' resurrection, all of those things that you might be tempted to chase after, you can find that those things, they don't even compare to him. He, he, and he alone is the source of what we're looking for. He and He alone is the one who will complete us. He and He alone is the source of life with a capital L. Paul says it like this in another place in the Bible, Romans chapter 6. Paul says, could it be any clear? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin, miserable life. No longer it sins every beck and call. What we believe is this, if we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. And we know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language. That means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. And this is what Jesus does in you. Today, as we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, that on the third day he rose again and the tomb is empty. If you find your heart being stirred towards something more, listen to that. Because what Jesus wants to offer you is the gift of life, life with a capital L, life that can endure anything that this world might throw at you, life that will extend even into eternity, life that is full and complete and where you can look at all of the world and what it has to offer and say, you know, I've chased after that before, but it doesn't compare to what I found in Christ. This is the gift that he wants to give to you that because he is alive, 
He wants to make you alive. Let's pray together. And so Father, today we thank you for the gift of an empty tomb, for the celebration of Easter and all that you give to us. And it's true, we, we can chase after so many things in life, and some of us have, we have chased after the wrong things, and we've found that they don't actually fulfill because we just, we just want more and more and more. And so Lord, would you help us to be like Paul who says, you know what, I can look at all that the world offers, and I know that it's incomplete because in Christ, that's where I find my purpose, my identity, that's where I find true love and joy and peace, that's where I find what you have created me for. And so I wanna pray for anyone here this morning who's with us today, and, and maybe their hearts are stirred to receive this gift that you have for us. And so today in our own lives, in our own minds, our own hearts, we just wanna open ourselves to you and say, Lord, would you come into my life that I could receive the gift that you have for us? We believe in your resurrection and the truth that on the third day you rose from the dead, and now because of this, we can live in your victory that the tomb is empty and that you have come, that we can have life with a capital L. We give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, the victorious one, we pray. Amen. I was buried beneath my shame. could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing when I alive All my failures I tried Oh, man.
Hey, thanks for joining us today for our Easter celebration. We're so glad that you could join us. A special thanks to all of those who helped make this worship experience possible. To those behind the camera like Alec and Taylor, uh, to KJ and Cheryl and all of the choir for help making our, our musical um, pieces of worship happen. To Spencer for a sermon that reminded us of God's goodness and of what God wants to do in and through us and what God is doing in the world. Thank you for joining us. I'm Pastor Jason. I can't wait to see you. See you soon. Can't wait to hear from you. And can't wait to hear what God is doing in your life through the power of Christ resurrected. God's best to you. Amen. <laughs>